This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. This week's episode is Meredith Atwood. Meredith, you've many of you have probably seen her. She's got the at swim bike mom tagline, but total rock star. She's a former attorney, podcaster, and motivational speaker, and a four-time Ironman triathlete. She's also the author of the best-selling triathlon book, Triathlon for Every Woman, and the new book, The Year of No Nonsense. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, she's the host of a top, uh, or she's a host of the iTunes top fit 50 fitness podcast, the same 24 hours. She's been featured in the Boston globe, the New York post, the Seattle times and dozens of online publications. Uh, she's also a contributing writer to psychology today online. And I've actually read some great stuff from her recent recently. And she is a writer for triathlete magazine. Again, women's running. In addition, she's a sobriety, sobriety, advocate and the founder of Grateful Sobriety. She's a USA weightlifting level two, USA triathlon level one, and precision nutrition level one coach. She's originally from Georgia, but has moved to the suburbs of Boston, which I'm sure is an interesting adventure being in New England, and with her husband and two tweens. So Meredith, welcome to the show. I lost you there. Am I here? Yeah, there you go. Oh, hi. Sorry about that. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) But anyways, no. So tell us a little bit about who who Meredith is. And you've got a fascinating story. I've watched some of your stuff, but love to hear um, from your own mouth and from your own soul. Yeah, I've got kind of a yard sale of a bio. And that's (laughs) that's (laughs) because I just keep evolving and keep changing my mind and changing direction, which is kind of part of my shtick, I guess, is, you know, if you don't like something, change it. Um, But I guess my main story sort of started 10 years ago. I was a litigating attorney, two kids under two, about 250 pounds, and I had a really great drinking problem. So I was sort of living my best life (laughs) at that time. It just was, it was just hard. It felt like Groundhog Day. And I know now that we're in this pandemic, Groundhog Day has a whole new meaning, but I always used to say it felt like Groundhog Day because it just was a difficult time to be in corporate America, practicing law with two kids and, and very unhealthy and, and digging myself into even unhealthier holes. And so what came out of that, that sort of time in my life was I learned how to move my body. So I had a gym membership drive at my office. and. I got bamboozled into attending because they called it a lunch and learn. (laughs) And so I used to go to these things and be like, oh, I can get a sandwich and a cookie. And I totally got tricked into this gym membership drive. And so I ended up joining the gym because I'm I'm a notorious people pleaser and I wanted the gym people to like me. So I joined this gym and I ended up going into a spinning class. And from there, everything sort of changed for me. The spinning instructor was really dynamic and he became an integral part of my life as far as a coach later. And um, it it just, 
all started with moving my body and I didn't change anything else. I still practice law. I still drank too much. I still ate too much, but just that little bit of movement put me on a different trajectory. And my spinning instructor told me about a year later, do you know you could do a triathlon if you wanted to? And I said, why would I want to do that? <laughs> that seems like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, but it kind of stuck with me. It, it got into my head and I thought, well, gosh, if he thinks I can do this, um, maybe I can. And I do everything at full bore, like no matter what. And so six weeks after he told me that I did my first um, sprint triathlon, I finished last, I crashed my bike in transition. It was terrible and, and wonderful at the same time. And um, I went home like a superhero. I was like, this is amazing. Like, look at your mother. My kids were, you know, two and three. They're like, Wh whatever. And my husband's like, take the kids. I'm going out. I mean, it was just, it was a non-event for them, but it was a moment that I changed. I changed. Um, I knew I could do more. I knew I didn't have to be on this particular path anymore. Like, I just knew it. I felt it in my soul. And that was kind of a spark. And from there, I did longer races. And I said, if I ever got to the point where I, d I did a half Ironman, I was going to write a book about it. Because when I started my triathlon journey, I just didn't find any resources out there that told a 250 pound mom of two who drank too much how to do a triathlon. And so I thought, this is a really good niche. I should, I should write a book about it. Um, so I did. I wrote Triathlon for the Every Woman, and it's in its second edition now. It's, the second edition came out last year. Um, but from there, I did a couple Ironmans, um, four to be exact, and became a triathlon coach. But, you know, my. My shtick is the every woman and the everyday person doing endurance sports in the middle of their busy jobs, in the middle of their lives, in the body they may not particularly like that much and wish was smaller or faster or more athletic. And because um, I was an Olympic weightlifter and Olympic style weightlifter in high school and early college. So I, I had some sporting background, but weightlifting does not an endurance athlete make. <laughs> Those right. are two totally twitches, different fibers. And um, so mindset kind of came along with me, I think. But as far as learning how to swim, bike and run, that was, that was a whole new ball game. And I never got fast. I mean, my fastest um, Ironman was 14.59. But I mean, that was fast enough for me. I was totally proud of it. And but that was it. I just I did the races. I completed them. I never DNF'd a race. And so my lesson there was always to believe I could get to the finish line and to, to get there at whatever pace that was. And, you know, I trained hard. I did what I was supposed to do. I never I never just didn't train and showed up. I mean, well, that's not completely true. I did that a little bit later. <laughs> but when I was doing races for the first time, like I, I did my training and I did I did the work, I put it in there and it just, it didn't translate to me being a fast athlete. And, and that was fine. Like I never, I never put it out there that I was going to be this fast athlete. I was just trying to survive my life. <laughs> and, um, so it kind of grew from there. I, my blog grew and I started a podcast and, um, escaped the legal profession. Um, I guess four years, three years ago now, three years wow. ago. Yeah. And so, um, full-time writer and coach, and that's been interesting. I mean, it's definitely a different world from corporate America, but but much welcome <laughs> at this point. And I love what you said there, though, that, you know, a lot of our listeners, too, have just said, hey, just move, right? To just get yeah. yourself moving. And, 
it sort of creates the momentum. Talk to us a little bit about that. I, you know, and I was reading in your in your background saying you woke up one morning like I'm doing a triathlon, right? And <laughs> right. Going down yeah. that road, but it's just moving is just the step one, right? It's the the first yeah. step is the step of a thousand miles. Yeah, it truly is because it's it's Newton's law, right? An object in motion stays in motion. One in rest will just stay at rest, and it's getting that train moving and that's i think the big hurdle for most people they look at the the big picture like oh my gosh how could i ever do a triathlon i couldn't do that so i'm going to do nothing right. <laughs> i'm just i'm going to do nothing and so what i always encourage is is to take that first step i mean the fact that i walked into that spinning class changed my life and so a lot of what i talk about is hey just go show up show up to the race, show up to class, show up with a friend, show up on your walk. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Even Monday, my daughter's 11. She's really big into CrossFit and my husband does some CrossFit and I, I dabble and, and that is a very loose word. And we had, they had the Murph workout, which is like this traditional Memorial day workout. And it's hard. And I thought, I don't want to do this today. Why do I want to do this? But it was like a family event. And so I showed up and I beat them. <laughs> I beat all of them. And um, it was so much fun because I, and afterwards I thought, you know, I wasn't even going to do this. I wasn't even going to show. And it, it continues to surprise me. And I don't know why at this point it surprises me, but it is that just step of showing up and, and moving your body just a little or a lot or doing a crazy workout, but it is that first step. And a lot of times people are held back because they think, oh, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm too slow. I'm too fat. I'm too what old to you're too something, right? That's why we don't show up. And the answer is no one cares. <laughs> Nobody cares what you are. They're too busy worrying about themselves. And so a lot of times we're too embarrassed to go running down the road or showing up at the gym because we, we worry what people will think of us, but no one cares. Like no one cares what we're doing. They really don't. And, and so that was a big part of my journey was to realize when I'm out at 220 pounds running down the road, nobody cares. <laughs> they don't care. Now, some people cared enough to roll down their window and shout things, but you know, that's on them. It's, you know, there is, there is that risk, fat girl running. It's terrifying. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's my life, it's my health, it's my fitness. And if I want to make a change and I want things to be different, I got to show up. And so it's the same for, for anyone starting a journey, like being brave enough to just show up. It will pay dividends in, in ways you can't even anticipate. No, showing up is key. And I would tell classmates or kids I would coach or even my own kids, it's you show up to class, you're going to get a B or a C no matter what, right? It just show up. Don't stop. Don't fail. That's when you start failing is when you don't show up at, at right. anything. And I love what you're saying about the Murph workout. And I work, I built a CrossFit gym in my garage here and I work out with my wife and I'm like, Allison, just step up to the bar and then that's, and then bend over and pick it up. And once you do it, it's all of a sudden it's a different ball game. It is. And, and it really is. One little movement, like you're saying, and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the sobriety piece, right? You've, you know, I'm sure that made a huge difference in your athletic ability and what you're doing now. Oh, so here's a funny joke. So I did all four of my Ironmans as a drinker. When I quit drinking, I did no more Ironmans. <laughs> 
you, so, you were celebrating. You knew how to celebrate, though. That was the say, say what you want about that. Either I had to drink to do Iron Man, or I don't know. Um, I will tell a funny story that I used to drink like before races and before long rides, and I would wake up hungover and get on my bike and feeling like crap. And I often wouldn't realize I was even riding until mile sixty or eighty. <laughs> so by the time I, you know, started to feel better, I only had twenty miles to go. Um, on a century ride. And so that was part of it. I mean, I used alcohol um, in every sense of, of an addict. I, I used it to excess. I used it to escape, to relax, to have fun. And, you know, I was super fun as a drinker until I wasn't. <laughs> like, I'd like you know, fun Bobby more. and friends. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was like <laughs> Bobby. Yes, for sure. Right. Um, and I got mean, you know, and I, I would black, I was a blackout drinker. So a lot of times I would wake up in the morning and not know what happened after nine 30, but I could look at my husband and see something did <laughs> because he was not speaking to me. And so that proceeded for a really long time. And, um, I was sitting in a target parking lot one day and I had this very real sense that I was not going to be alive in a year. It was just like a clear sense, uh, a voice, God, whatever you want to call it. It was like, yeah, you're going to be out of here in a year if you keep this up. It was so clear to me that I made a decision to quit. And I set a date. I, it was in the same week. I think we had a party to go to. I know we had a party to go to for my husband's work. Um, but I feel like it was like a Tuesday that I had that feeling and the party was Friday and Saturday was my sobriety date. And I, I never had a drink. I haven't had a drink since that day. But a lot of people say, well, that must be really nice that you could just quit like that. But what it was, was me trying to quit for many years, <laughs> a long time of me wanting to get a hold of it and never feeling like I could. And that just happens to be the date I wrestled it down. And so it's been four and a half years. Um, I don't miss drinking, but I'm, I'm an addict. I'll, I'll eat myself into a coma now. You know, I'll shop myself into a coma. It is, it is just a part of what my battle is. I am an addict through and through. If it's just probably a good thing. I never picked up drugs because I probably would have been a drug addict. Um, I was, I was too much of a rule follower and a people pleaser to try drugs. <laughs> um, but you know what, if one is good, a hundred is better. That's kind of how I am. And, and I think when I was drinking really heavily and I was doing Ironman and doing triathlon training, that was part of it. That was part of um, proving that I was healthy. Like, look at, I can go do all these races and still have my bad behavior right. <laughs> and still act this way and still treat my body this way. And it had a lot of consequences. I mean, the, the totality of it on my health. At one point I had a bout of shingles. My whole like side of my face was swollen like sloth from Goonies. And, and I had diverticulitis. That was after my third Iron Man. I just, my health was really struggling. Um, so getting sober got me my health back. But as anyone knows who's in recovery, you can wrestle your sobriety. You can quit drinking and you can still be a, a drunk. You can still not have dealt with the issues that took you to drinking in the first place, to your addiction. And, and so that's been the last four years for me is working through the full recovery process and, and rewinding it back to like, why did you become like such a drinker? <laughs> like at 17, like what in that first drink made you just never be able to put a lid on it? And, and working through the emotional 
um, stuff and trauma and, and all that fun stuff that no one wants to do. <laughs> and so out of that process came my second book, The Year of No Nonsense. And um, that, that's kind of a memoir, self-help journey book on, on getting out of your own way, because a lot of our problems are our own addictions and our own past and our traumas, but we continue to perpetuate the cycle. We continue to do the same BS over and over and over again and having these same thoughts in our head. Like, I hate this life. I hate my job. I hate everything about it, but we don't do anything about it. We just drink more, shop more, eat more, um, work out more. I mean, it really just depends what your nonsense of choice is. And, and so that's what that book is about. And, um, it's yeah, it's been quite quite a decade, I would say. I hope my next decade is a little calmer. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> no, and and talk to us a bit about yeah, the premise of the book, that book No Nonsense, a year of no nonsense, because I'm thinking a lot of people, yeah, I I've been around endurance athletes for years and years and years. I've done it. And I always say either endurance athletes are running from something or running to something, right? And and they might be doing both at the same time. And it's, you know, there's a high number of people that are alcoholics or drug addicts or this or that, that use that to channel, right? Because there is that fix. And, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to that fix. I love that fix of going hard and being spent and getting ready to go do it the next day because there's nothing like it. And it's the same thing I'm sure, you know, with drinking or I've had my fair share of wine too, but you know, drinking or drugs or like you're, you know, anything, right. Food, sex, and it's sports is a, is a great channel to sort of let that go from what I see. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it, you can take anything to excess. I mean, there's oh, plenty, we all have someone in our head right now that popped in. Oh yeah. I know that triathlete. Yeah. <laughs> he blows up his entire life and marriage for swimming, biking and running, you right. know, that guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, we all have our own personal brands of nonsense. And that was like, that's the premise of the book, that my nonsense is not yours. Not everyone has a drinking problem. So like wine in general as a substance is not a problem. It's just a problem if it's a problem for you. And so the book is about identifying your own personal brand of nonsense, like your biggest one, and then the little stuff that's standing in your way. But just like if you arrive on a accident scene you want to deal with the biggest bleeder i mean you don't want to go for the broken toe when you've got a severed artery and so a big premise of the year of no nonsense is figuring out what your big bleeder is and and like to do that you sometimes have to dig you have to ask yourself hard questions you have to get to the the center of your truth onion as i call it and peel down to oh my gosh this is my big bleeder and maybe i'm acting out in this way, but really the bleeder is this, you know, I, for me, the example was if anyone asked me what my biggest problem was five years ago, I would have said it's I'm overweight. <laughs> I am overweight. If I fix that, everything will be fine. And that's what I believed. But after you grow a little and you start to ask yourself the questions about your, your truth and get your head out of the sand and start to evaluate your life, I, I realized, oh, my big bleeder is drinking. And then even when I got rid of that, I had to dig deeper and be like, well, where did that come from? Because it's still there. The reasons I drank are still there. And so that's what the book is about. It's about figuring out what external nonsense is showing up in your life, how you can sort of identify it and then go on a path to really get out of your own way by ticking off the nonsense a little bit at a time. And 
you know, we can't get rid of all of it. <laughs> the, the world is full of nonsense, especially right. social media. Especially right now. Especially right now. I mean, to have <laughs> a book come out December before the pandemic called The Year of No Nonsense is hilarious. I am, the irony is not lost. That is perfect. It's perfect. I mean, this was supposed to be The Year of No Nonsense and here we sit. But great. You know, that's, that's even per- more perfect. Um, but realizing that we're all doing these things that are aggravating our health, happiness, and success. Like we can make changes to our nonsense, get rid of some of it, deal with some of it differently. And it has a huge return on our investment. And even if like this, so the two week experiment I say like for on podcast is if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you think nonsense is nonsense, um, spend two weeks and anytime you are presented with a person, place, or thing that you don't know what to do with, or you think you have a decision to make, um, or something's just kind of aggravating you, ask yourself, is this nonsense? Yes or no? Just that. And a lot of people say, well, how do I know what nonsense is? You know, it's in your gut. (laughs) Your gut is telling you right away, is this person, place, or thing, decision, event, nonsense. And once you say yes or no, you will see that you have a nice 12 by 12 crate of things that are not nonsense in your life. And you have a garage full of nonsense. There's a ton of stuff that just, you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I taking part of it? This is making me crazy. It's making me miserable. And what that experiment does is when we name something, when we identify it, we, we give a certain power to ourselves to say, you know what? That's nonsense. I may not know how I want to deal with that right now, but I know that I'm going to deal with it at some point. And so it requires a certain level of awareness and, um, you know, emotional intelligence, which some of us are weak on to identify that. But once you do, you will begin to desire change and and you'll start to think, I really got to get rid of that. I got to stop doing that. I got to quit hanging out with those people. I need to speak my mind more. And and it just kind of leaks into your head and you, and you, you sort, you sort of, desire change. And so that's kind of the point of of the year of no nonsense is to figure out what is standing in the way of your health and happiness and your own personal success. And it's a lot like you were saying, it's sort of that first step, right? Get, just get moving. It's the same thing. It's sitting down and be like, all right, what BS do I need to deal with or not deal with and, and move and move forward. Um, So talk to us a bit about when you were training or your training in balance and family and being an entrepreneur and, and everything else, because a lot of people struggle with that. How do you handle yeah. the balance around it? You know, you're a writer, you're, you've got kids, I think about the same age as mine. I'm 11 and 15. You've got, mm. you know, a spouse that's a full-time professional as well. So talk to a bit about the balance piece. Well, I think balance is, is one of the lies that we've been told. I think that people, present that we can have this balanced life. You can have it all and you can have it all, but not very well. <laughs> Something always is going to give. And I, I talk about um, in social media, this thing called the suck line. And, and I say that you can have a list of things, a list of 12 things, for example, and you draw a line at six and everything under that line has to suck. Like you can't do it all <laughs> and you can rotate things above it and move it around. But at some point you've got to draw a line and things under that line suck. And for me, like sometimes it's laundry and then sometimes I got to move the laundry up. And so this expectation that you can literally take everything in your life and put it on a line and balance it, 
that's garbage. That's nonsense. It's actually like lie number two in my book. I think I have five lies and it's balance is BS is one of, or balance is possible is one of the lies. You can't balance it. So at that point you have to prioritize, you know, what matters, what really, really matters and what can not matter. And so it, it's about waking up early. I don't think you can do anything in your world if you're sleeping until eight. <laughs> you know, if, I mean, if you have a regular work day, if you're a nurse, you know, out, whatever, but you've got to be up earlier than most in your world in order to get a jump. And, and that, especially with kids, like you've got to beat them and they get up early. Um, but I've got to have that 30 minutes to three hours alone. And some mornings that means 3 a.m. I, I actually love when I wake up and I can't go back to sleep at like 2.30 or 3. It's not a bad thing. It, it, it allows me to get a jump on the day. And of course, that's not balanced because then I'm exhausted. But it's, it's taking advantage of a day that you can really, you know, attack some things. And so I think balance, the idea of balance is, is garbage because you can't predict the future and you can't control anything. I mean, if the pandemic's taught, taught us anything, it's we, we thought we had all this control and we, we had all this certainty. And I mean, we don't, we don't have any of it. And so it's, it's just about being present, doing the best you can and not, not allowing your addictions and your habits and the things that are really making you miserable to become part of this elusive balance that you're after, because that is the stuff that's standing in the way. Um, so clearing your plate a little bit, like getting rid of some of the nonsense allows the balance to at least feel a little bit better. And to some of the listeners, what do you, how do you suggest clearing your plate? Right? Well, I mean, it depends on what your affliction is. <laughs> you know, if, if you're someone who doesn't say no, uh, that's a place to start. If you're a people pleaser, it's like, okay, why do you care what these people think? There, there has to be a self-analysis of what your biggest brands of nonsense are. And that's how you, the, the road to um, clearing your plate is in your brand of nonsense. Like I promise you, whatever you're doing to excess is what is standing in your way. And that's where, where your plate needs to get cleared. So like for me, drinking, the second I got rid of drinking, I all of a sudden had a little bit more time. <laughs> I had more energy. I had more money. Um, you know, if you're a people pleaser, the second you stop doing some of those people pleasing behaviors, you suddenly also have more time. I mean, people pleasers are, are the ones that struggle the most with time because they're so generous giving everyone else time and they rarely take care of themselves. And so if you can curb some of that people pleasing, you suddenly have time to work out or to read a book or to do something that's good for you. And so that's how you clear your plate, like figure out what is standing in your way, look right at it because, because that's where you'll find time and energy and money probably and friendship and connection. No. And that, and, and I love that because it's, it's what takes us out, right? It's usually just one or two things that right. will take you out at the knees. And once you sort of get past that, all of a sudden things open up. I know athletic wise, right? It's you focus on these one or two things and don't worry about the rest. All of a sudden you're that much better, that much stronger, that much fitter, faster, whatever you want to be, because you've eliminated eight, it's sort of the 80, 20 rule, but almost backwards, right? It's, it's yeah, the 20% right. of the thing it's, but it's, it's so true. And when I do, you know, do some coaching or talking to people in their career stuff, it's the same type of thing. It's like, here, let's, you know, if you get rid of the BS, 
how are you, how would you handle this? And people don't know that, right? They don't understand right. that question. And we're on autopilot. And that's one of right. the big exactly. parts of the book Book is recognizing our autopilot. We're just doing this stuff, doing it and just have done it for 10 years, especially when you've got young kids that then morph into teenagers. You've been doing this other thing for 10 years while you're just trying to work and raise them. You know, you are on autopilot as a parent of young kids. And getting off of that autopilot and finding your presence is how you identify what is in your way. And, and that requires some work. It requires some presence and some work to say, what am I doing? <laughs> what did I do today? You know, because it's easy to just do what you've always done, repeat it, drink it, go to bed and hope for a better day. You know, hope is one of our biggest enemies. I mean, hope is a good thing to have, but when we rely on it as a vehicle for motion, it, it's terrible. It has no engine. <laughs> what I used to, what I tell people is if you're hoping for a deal to close in the business world, it's already gone. So you better stop hoping yeah. and try to figure out how to resurrect it in some other way. Cause the hope close isn't a close that's effective. <laughs> right. That's good. Right. Because if, once you go to hope, it's a, it's a different ball game. You've lost control and it's time to move on. And if it comes back, great. High five yourself, but right. don't, don't, well, and it's the choice back. of language too. I mean, I, I, I've come across this. I do a lot of life coaching in addition to, to endurance coaching. And the biggest thing I see women say after we have a meeting, I'll give them like four things to do. And they're like, Oh, I hope I can do this. And I'm like, eh, try again. Right. <laughs> oh, I hope I, I'm like, no, like, stop. You will. I will. And then I will try to no. <laughs> try again. Um, But that's the kind of thing that we have to become aware of. And that's the autopilot that has to go away. The choice of language, the, um, the, I try, I'll hope, you know, maybe things will get better. Who's got my tail? Like, no, you have to choose your words and, um, say you will, if you want to change, you have to use, I will (laughs) change. I will do these things. I will close this deal. I will not hope. It's, yeah, it's language. It's good. It's important. Just, and I loved what you said early on. No one's coming to save you, right? And it's so yeah. true. You're the only one who can save yourself. Yeah, that's one of my big things. I, I love speaking to large groups of women and, and I tell them, here's one of the main truths in life. No one is coming to save you. They don't know you're missing. And to say that to a group of women, a lot of times, some of them are like, yeah. And then there's always half of them who are like, their eyes get real big, like, and you can see the panic, like, wait a minute, am I actually on my own here? Am I? And it's not like, oh, that's just a group of weak women. It just never occurred to them that no one is actually looking for if they're missing or not, because we're not acting like we're missing. We're not acting like anything's wrong. We're holding up everyone in our lives but we're not taking care of ourselves. And so that shift in mindset, hey, no one's coming for me. They don't even know I'm missing here. I better get my act together. (laughs) That's the point of it is you might be missing, but, and if you are, you need to tell someone, hey, I'm missing here, someone come for me. Um, But most of the time, everyone is very selfish. They don't mean to be, but we're selfish and we're not paying attention to everyone around us. And that's okay, it is what it is. But we have to have some self-awareness to say, okay, ball's in my court, my turn to, to effectuate the change I want. 
Awesome. No, Meredith, we're coming up on the magic 30 minutes that we we're chatting about <laughs> earlier when you know our, our ADD culture, especially in New England, has probably lost right. us about 27 yeah. minutes ago. But um, right. <laughs> where, can, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about you and your book and, and everything else? Yeah, you can find me everywhere at Swim Bike Mom, swimbikemom.com and social media, Swim Bike Mom. And my book, The Year of No Nonsense, is available wherever you buy your books on Audible, um, electronic book, all the, all the things. So, yeah. Perfect. And Meredith, thank you. This is awesome. I love your insight. We'll probably run into each other either at the mountain skiing or out riding the bike out around so. where we are. So thank, thank you for you. being part of this. I really appreciate your time today. And again, thank you very much. Thank you. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email me at kentheexecutiveathletes.com. Hopefully we're through this pandemic when this comes out in the next few weeks. But if not, hang in there. We'll all get through it and enjoy some warm weather. So have a great summer. Talk to you later. Bye.